Acts chapter 1, if you have a Bible, if you need a Bible under a seat close by, you'll find a black hardcover Bible under there. And grab that. If you don't own a Bible, please walk out of this room with that Bible today. We mean that. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. We're in the fifth book of the New Testament. And if you're just joining us for the first time this Sunday, you're joining at a perfect time. We're just the second week into this study in a book called The Acts of the Apostles. And we're in chapter 1 still, uh, where we're picking it up in verse 6. But um, while you turn there, today. Uh, let me just say this to us, and, I, and I will, it'll make sense as we go, but it's this, that we as people, we as humans, we were made for mission. We were made for mission. We were made to be part of something so much bigger than any one of us. We were made to be a part of this awesome movement that God wants to do across the globe through his people. Um, and, and if you're here today, and is, if you're sitting in here, and if you know Jesus, uh, let me just speak to you for a second. Um, if you're here and you feel like your walk with Jesus is stagnant, if, if it seems that this life-altering, joy-producing, purpose-defining, uh, communion, fellowship, walk with Jesus that was promised to you, if you feel like that, that hasn't quite lived up to the promise, I'm willing to bet it may be because there's a disconnect between your understanding of your life and what God will call us to in this passage here today. This passage here today will unleash us and launch us to mission for Jesus in such a way that it radically transforms each and every one of our personal walks with Jesus. It's an awesome thing that God has given his people the privilege to be a part of. And uh, as we began the book of Acts and our study in it last week, um, Jesus, uh, the, Dr. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, let's just review some of that. Uh, Dr. Luke is working on a two-volume work. Volume one is another book in the New Testament, the, the, the Gospel of, of Luke. Uh, the Gospel of Luke um, highlights Jesus' life up to his ascension into heaven. Volume 2 is what we're studying here, the book of Acts. It takes over where volume 1 left off and uh, speaks to Jesus' ascension and then teaches about the movement of Jesus that happens after Jesus ascends into heaven. And as Luke begins the book of Acts, he notes... In these 40-day period when Jesus appears to his disciples um, periodically, it notes a very odd commandment Jesus leaves with this group. What was that commandment that Jesus left? Wait. Like, just picture that now. You, you, watched, your savior, you watched your teacher, Savior, die. You're, you're now getting to eat with him. He's alive. And he's telling you, he's unpacking for you Old Testament Hebrew scripture. Uh, you're ready to go. And Jesus says, I need you to wait. I need you to stop. I need you to not go out of here and do anything in your own strength. Because if you try to go before I send my spirit, you're going to burn out and fry out. And you're going to mess all of this up. I need you to wait. And he tells them to wait for the spirit. And now in this week's passage, what we're going to study is why they are to wait for the Spirit. Because when the Spirit of God comes, the power of God comes with that. And so I want you to pick it up here in verse 6 with a very um, 
what might be to us a very odd question, but a very normal, natural question that Jesus' followers would have asked in this instance. Uh, Verse 6. So when they, Jesus' disciples, when they had come together, they asked him, here's the question they asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Okay, Luke now gives us the snapshot of the last conversation between Jesus and his disciples before Jesus ascends into heaven, and here is the question the disciples ask. And you're like, what is up with this question? We have to get kind of a Jewish mind on their understanding of what the Messiah was going to do. They believed this Messiah was going to come and he was going to establish a kingdom, rule and reign, political, military, authority kingdom on earth. And so what they're asking is, Jesus, is this now the time you're going to rescue us up out from under Roman control? You are going to establish the kingdom back to Israel and you are going to reign in that earthly kingdom just like King David did and just like King Solomon did. That's what they are after. And look at Jesus' reply. He said to them, verse 7, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Um, Translation. That's for God to know and you to find out. Jesus here Some people believe Jesus is intentionally changing the subject away from kingdom talk. I don't think so. I actually think what Jesus is doing here is reorienting his disciples around the type of kingdom he wants to build now until he returns one day to establish his kingdom in totality. And I believe he's doing that based on where he's going to go after this. But the first thing you have to understand today is that what we are going to study hinges off the disciples' question about the kingdom of God. Point one, write it down as this. God's plan is to build his kingdom, his way, in his time. God is building his kingdom right now. And though his followers believed that it was to be an earthly rule and reign, political, a local, a military power kingdom right now, Jesus is about to teach them in his passage that there's a day coming when I'll reign in totality. But here's the thing. I'm building my kingdom today, but it's not a kingdom that's defined by geography or military power or me sitting on some earthly throne. It's a kingdom I'm seeking to build in every heart through this message called the gospel. And it'll transcend geographic lines. And it'll be more powerful than any military could muster up. And it'll sweep across this globe in a way that completely turns the world on its head. I love what John Stott says about what Jesus is teaching here. He says, the kingdom of God is his rule set up where? What's it say? In the lives of his people by the Holy Spirit. Do you know that our Savior is building a kingdom right now? And he's building it in his way, in his time, and he is actively at work. Remember what we said last week, high view of Jesus. Jesus is not in heaven right now with his feet kicked up ready for the Super Bowl tonight. He's at work. He's alive and he's active. 
and he's building the kingdom. Now, um, how is he building this kingdom? Here's where our awesome privilege is in this. And here's what he's got to grip our hearts and grab a hold of us and go, we have been called and commissioned in charge with the greatest mission that could ever be given to us. Here we go. Acts 1.8. The next three points coming out of this one verse right here. He says, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father's fixed by his own authority. But, but, what's the second word? You tell me. But you, you got to get this now. Remember the disciples' question. Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Look at how he answers in 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria into the end of the year. Second point, get it, it's this. God's people are his kingdom building plan. Spirit of God, drive that into our hearts this morning. Because unless you do, we will not get the way to that. God's people are his plan to do this heart-building, gospel kingdom-building across the globe. Do we get that? We are plan A and plan B and plan C and plan D. His plan is to use his people in order to do this. Now, we have to understand what a great privilege we get. This isn't a, oh, we got to do some like eternity shaping kingdom building for the Lord today by telling people about Jesus. Like this isn't a have to. We, we don't have to come to, like you don't have to come to church you don't have to study the word. You don't have to tell people about Jesus. This isn't some, um, some tasks we do begrudgingly. It's a joy that we get to share in to watch God transform lives as gospel grips hearts and the world is transformed by Jesus. It's an awesome privilege. But now here's the thing. We won't realize the great privilege that we get to have the power of God, the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us to witness about Jesus unless we understand the magnitude of the person who gives us this call, commission, and command. Think about it like this. When someone important in your life, call it a boss, call it a CEO of your company, call it someone you dearly respect, when they come and when they tap you on the shoulder and when they say, hey, I got a special project that I want you to work on, I've come directly to you and I want you to do this, Larry. That's a great honor for us, isn't it? And we're like, the magnitude of the person asking me to do this, um, I don't, I'm like, I don't want to do this begrudgingly. I want to do this. I want to serve. Let me, let me see if I can illustrate this. Um, in college, co the college years were kind of my crisis of faith years. And uh, so I was being taught, um, I was a religion major at a non-Christian college, and so I was being taught that Jesus was everything but who the Bible taught Jesus to be. And so I was doing a lot of study on the side to go like, is this right? I mean, are my professors right about this? And one of the guys I studied a lot of his works of was a guy uh, named Josh McDowell. Anyone ever heard of Josh McDowell? Josh McDowell, Christian author, speaker, great evangelist, the Lord has greatly used him through his own journey of coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And um, I would study this guy's books, and I listened to what he had to taught, um, 
This guy shaped so much of those years. The work, God's work through this guy shaped so much of these years. Um, and so I'd started praying, God, will you allow Josh McDowell to come speak at Wabash College? I just believe if you could get him on campus here. And I graduated, and God never answered that prayer. <clears throat> and then a couple years later, Josh McDowell is coming to Wabash College's campus. And it was just this awesome moment of years and years of prayer that God had finally answered, not in my timing, but his. And I told Erica, we're going. And so we walk into the room, Josh McDowell speaking in a Wabash campus. And, um, and we, were, like, we were sitting kind of towards the back, and I'm watching him. He's just kind of, he's just kind of working, you know, talking to people before he's going to speak. And like my palms are getting sweaty. I'm like, he's getting closer. <laughs> like I might actually get to talk to Josh McDowell. And, like, he comes back, and Erica was sitting on the edge, and he, like, went to talk to Erica, and I'm like, hey, Josh, how are you? You, like, you'll never know the influence you had through, like, a crisis of faith in my life. And we're just talking there, and just finally just got down-to-earth conversation. He's like, man, I'm starving. I got off the plane, and I hopped in a car, and I'm like, you're hungry? Can, can, can I go get you dinner? He's like... I mean, if you want to, I rush over to the cafeteria and I grab a, I grab a cafeteria tray. I'm not even a student anymore, but I'm just like, I don't care. <clears throat> I grab a tray and I'm going through the cafeteria line and I'm like, no way am I feeding Josh McDowell that. And so I go, I go to the sandwich bar and like with that tray in front of me and some, with some nine grain wheat bread right there. I'm telling you, in the history of the world, there's never been a turkey sandwich made more to the glory of God than that turkey sandwich. <laughs> and I walked back into that room with a tray. <clears throat> I had never been more proud to make a turkey sandwich. Like, I sat back next to my wife. She's like, oh, like, what was that? The whole point is this. If I could get that fired up about making a turkey sandwich for Josh McDowell in a college cafeteria, how fired up should the people of God get about Jesus going, listen, I'm going to give you power. And you're going to go across the globe. And you're going to witness about me. And lives are going to be changed all over the place. The privilege of the commission comes from the one commissioning us. And listen, this is not how I would have done it. Like, if I was God in heaven, what I probably, like, my master idea would have been, no, let's keep Jesus on earth forever. Let's run out every major stadium and every continent. Let's have revivals and, and, and let him come and preach the gospel. And then let's set him up in a tent outside of those and just heal people all over again. And, that's, and God says, no, that's not my plan. That's not my plan. Uh, actually, my plan will work way better than your plan. Because when Jesus leaves, he's going to send his spirit. And go back to 1.8, and I don't want to make the point too soon. Go back to 1.8. He says, but you will receive what? What's the word? You'll receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Third point, write it down as this. God's plan is to empower his people with his spirit to witness about his son. That is God's plan. And listen, these people needed power. The story of Jesus' disciples after he is crucified is a story of scared, terrified, 
hiding out, fleeing to corners, hiding out, wondering, are they going to do what they just watched happen to their teacher? Is that going to happen to them? Are they going to be hanging on a cross? And you see a group of terrified, hiding out people. And then what you're going to see in the book of Acts is everything opposite of that. The Spirit of God's going to come and dwell them. And then authorities are going to go throughout the course of this entire book. You better stop talking about Jesus. If you don't stop talking about Jesus, you're going to prison, you're getting beaten, you're getting killed. And you know what they say? Do what you got to do. But as for me, I can't stop talking about this Jesus. That's the power that the Spirit gives. And so think about that. Think about that when you... Our nor- it's normal when we're normal, when it's normal to be nervous to witness to someone. When you're getting ready to witness to your mom or your dad, you're getting ready to talk to a son or a daughter about Jesus, you're getting ready to talk to a coworker. And those butterflies kind of come, and you're like, I don't know, and I've put this off. And I- <clears throat> would you whisper a reminder to yourself that if you know Jesus, this power of the Spirit of God dwells inside of you that gives you the power you need to witness to Him? We have nothing to fear. We don't have to worry if we can do it. He gives us his very power and strength in order to do this. Now, what does it mean to witness? So we're clear on that. To witness very simply is this, to boldly share what we have seen and heard. To boldly share what we have seen and heard. And so when Jesus, talking to his early disciples, says, you're going to go in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth, and you're just going to simply do this. You're just going to talk about what you have seen me do and what you have heard me teach. And now for us, like as we think about it, like, okay, what does it mean to witness for Jesus? It's very simple. Share what Jesus has taught. Share this gospel message he was all about. Share what Jesus has done in your life. No one can refute what Jesus has done in your life. They might not like the message you bring, but they can't refute when they see the massive change in your life and they go, tell me what happened to you, and you go, Jesus happened to me. That's all you're doing. You're just sharing boldly what you have seen in Jesus and what you have heard Jesus teach. That's all you're doing as a witness for him. Now, um, back to verse 8 one more time, and um, why... Three of our five points come out of verse 8 is because Acts 1.8 is kind of the crown jewel verse of the entire book. Acts 1.8 will set the, the, the structure that the rest of the book will, will pull from. Read it again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in where? Where? And where? Do you, and? And? All right, let's talk about this now. Uh, Fourth point, God's people are called to witness to everyone everywhere. God's people are called to witness to everyone everywhere. When uh, Jesus' disciples would have heard him say, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, they would have gone, great, got it. Sounds awesome. That's our city. We know it. These are our people. We got it. Witness in Jerusalem. And then he would have gone in, you will be my witnesses in Judea. And they would have gone, great, got it. That's our region. That's our thing. We got it. Those are our people. And you will be my witnesses in Samaria. Uh, Come again, Jesus. Where? Samaria. You're going to go witness. You're going to go share this message with Samaritans. (laughs) Yeah, we don't like them. 
understand that Jesus' early followers, they're Jewish. Jews and Samaritans went together like, what's the saying, water and oil? I always say that wrong. They go together like water and oil. Uh, Jews called Samaritans half-breeds. They didn't think they were worthy to share in any inheritance that God might bring about. They're like, what do you mean witness in Samaria? Get this now. God has called his people to a bold witness, both to people nearby us who are like us and people far from us very much not like us. God has called us to witness for Jesus when it's very comfortable and the people we're witnessing to, just we just click. And God has called us to witness to people who are very not like us. They might even be labeled enemies in our life. It's not comfortable. But God has called us to witness to everyone, everywhere. And he says, not only in these regions raped by us, Judea and Samaria, then what's he say after that? Where are they to witness? To the, to the ends of the earth. This witness is to spread to the ends of the earth. And Acts 1.8 serves as the structure verse for the rest of the book. And I want you to see that just broken out by uh, chapters here. The book of Acts breaks down like this. Acts 1-7 through 7 are, the belie- are the disciples, the apostles, witnessing in Jerusalem. What we're going to see is that God is going to sovereignly use, hear that now, that message is coming, God's going to sovereignly use persecution as a tool to spread his people out into the neighboring regions. God can sovereignly use very hard days in our life for his good. And then God's going to spread it out even more as we watch the Apostle Paul go on a church planting journey to see churches planted and disciples made all over the known world at the time. Here's what we have to get. Acts 1.8 teaches us that we are to witness here, near, and far to this life-changing Savior named Jesus Christ. What's the last chapter of the book of Acts? Acts 28. The book of Acts ends with Acts 28. The story of the work God wants to do to take the gospel to the end of the earth does not end with Acts 28. It goes on to us today. And we are to be actively in the game as Jesus followers, witnessing about Jesus here, near, and far. And so uh, bear with me here as I give us a little bit of vision for how our church, how we as Jesus people at Harvest Bible Chapel are to live this out. What does it look like for us to witness for Jesus here? What does it look like for us to serve our south side well? How, what is our strategy as a church to be able to live out what we see, this commission and call by Jesus right here? You know what it is? It's very simply this. Our plan is God's people. Our plan is not robust into all these mini- outreach ministries and all of these events we're going to have and all these ministries we're going to have. Uh, it's very simply God's people. Understanding that God has sovereignly put you in a neighborhood and he's sovereignly called you to a workplace and he's intentionally put you in a school. And as you go about the life that God has called you to live in your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, amongst your family and friends, he has asked you and called you to be a disciple maker in the process of that. 
He has given you the power of his spirit that you would witness about his son to see lives change through the process of that. As we fulfill this as a church, as we just go and in our everyday lives witness boldly to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will watch God do something in our midst that can only be explained through his miraculous power of his spirit. Um, I showed you this a couple months back, and if you're new, this will be new to you, but um, I showed you a graph of the growth of our church in the first two years. This isn't numbers, this is just percentage, and um, our best understanding of how God has, has grown our church in the first two years. You'll see the number at the top there, it says 8% unchurched. What that means is God has used Harvest Bible Chapel to, to 8% of our growth has been through people who came to know Jesus here, who had no background with Jesus. They're new to this whole faith thing. Uh, 12% of people who have called Harvest Home now, are, uh, they're de-churched. They were not part of any church for a number of years, and God sovereignly used the, the launch of this church to re-engage them back into what it meant to follow Jesus. And in the first two years of our church, 80% of our growth has been through what we're calling transfer growth, meaning people were connected into another church, and then God, as he led and called, God called them to join the movement uh, that God has, has placed in this church, and he's called them the Harvest Bible Chapel. Now, <clears throat> I said the first time I showed this graph, when I go to church planting conferences and when I talk to church planters and they ask me questions about this, they go, sheep stealer. You're just down there on the south side shuffling sheep around. What are you actually doing for the kingdom? And um, Listen, we don't apologize about the way God has grown our church in the first two years. Here's why. We believe and we prayed as we launched. God, will you send us a group of people who you have called to be a part of the unique movement you're going to call our church to? Will you send us a group, will you send us a foundational base of hungry, healthy disciples that we can then mobilize out to the south side and beyond on mission for you? And so we don't apologize. We believe that this is totally of the Lord and his leading for how he would grow us in the first two years of our church. Amen? Now, what do we say about what these graphs should look like in the coming years? If this is what our graph looks like two years from now, that last one, folks, we failed. Because God has gathered us together as a church full of disciples to launch us out on mission. And our greatest prayer for our church as we move forward in the years to come is that, yes, we'd still be getting people coming from other churches who God, by his spirit, is leading and drawing and calling to be a part of what God has called us to here. But that 90% number, those are people far from Jesus that are right this day. Those are people that God is calling us to reach, who we work with, who we live by, in our family and amongst our friends. And the only way we will flip these numbers and reach those people is if God's people, with the power of God's spirit, witness about God's son for his glory. Can we get on board with that? Can we get on board with that? And what God has called us to by the power of his spirit to witness to his son. And so uh, our, our dream for the south side is that all we're doing is we're gathering here on Sundays to grow, to grow deeper in our walk with the Lord. And then we're launching out the rest of the week 
as disciple makers on mission. How, Jesus said, I want you to minister in Jerusalem, and I want you to minister nearby, Judea and Samaria, the nearby regions. What does it look like for us to have a vision for the nearby regions right around us? Because um, <clears throat> we believe God has called our church to not only focus in on disciple-making here on the south side, but God has given us a vision for the greater Indianapolis area. God has given us a vision for central Indiana. Um, you may, if you're new, you may not know this, but um, when you leave here and you walk out the doors, if you look on the other side of the football field, uh, there's roughly 20 acres there uh, that the Lord continues to move us down the path of uh, having uh, as a church and building our future church home. And so literally, um, God could literally be moving us from portable to permanent 100 yards away over here in this field. Um, yeah. Um, so we, we've been talking, and hang with me here, we've been talking as leaders, like why would God, why would God put us right off this main new interchange on I-65? Maybe God, one, one answer to that question is, maybe God wants us to become a regional church where people are driving 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour to us every Sunday. Um, we said, we think that's just the first part of the answer. We think God will sovereignly put us on I-65 off a brand new interchange so that once people start driving 30 minutes, 45 60 minutes, and oh, by the way, people are driving 30, 45, and 60 minutes right now to come to our church, that God will start to highlight communities in need of a vertical church like the work we're seeing God do here, and we as a church will go plant a church like this in those communities so that those people can do life and worship in the same community all week long. This is only the first church we're going to plant, folks. And we believe that starting, you know, we'll lay out a vision for this coming this spring, but very soon in our near future, we'll be planting one church a year right here in Indiana and beyond. That is the vision. Well, why would we do, why are we talking about planting churches before we even have our own building? Because frankly, as we study the book of Acts, what we're going to see, it's just a study in disciple making and church planting. And we want to be a part of that kind of work this day for our Lord. And then the vision can't stop there because the clear call is to an ends-of-the-earth vision. What's it look like for us to have a global focus? Um, um, we will be laying out this spring a vision of identifying a strategic partner on every continent of the globe. And when we find that strategic church partner, what we'll do is we will uh, pour our resources, our trips, and our time into equipping that church on that continent to become the greatest, most effective church-planting, disciple-making church on their continent. And we will throw all of the resource we can behind those churches and those global strategic partners to see disciples made and churches planted on that continent. Why am I talking about this? Because we believe this is just the natural outcome flow of what we see from the early church in Acts 1-8, and we want to be a church like that. Amen? And let's get after it together. Now, look at what Jesus says. Look at what happens after what Jesus says here. Verse 9. Get there now. When you read the Bible, you have to get here. You have to, you have to let the word come to life. So we're here. We're with them right now. Verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. 
and a cloud took him out of their sight. This isn't fairy tale. This happened. Jesus just says, Jesus, Jesus, is this when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's not for you to know the day or the hour, but here's what you do need to know. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth as he's teaching this boom. And they're just left standing there with the word of the day, awe. And as they're looking up, going, what just happened? Verse 10, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Last point, God's plan is for his people with his power to witness about Jesus until Jesus returns. What was the disciples' first question? Jesus said, at at, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom? Um, A lot of people, as they study this passage and as they teach this passage, they think Jesus completely changes the subject. I don't think he does. I think Jesus gives a kingdom answer here. And I think his kingdom answer here is, no, 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 no. Here's all you need to know. Here's all you need to know. That I'm going to send my spirit And my spirit's going to indwell you. And folks, listen to me. If you know the Son of God, you have the Spirit of God. No more walking around with a Christianity that's just about checking boxes and going to church and trying really hard to be a good person. Know Jesus. Bow your knee to Jesus. Surrender your life to Jesus. If you've never done it before, today is the day for you to call on this Jesus. And when you call, he gives you his power, his spirit. He'll dwell inside of you. And God will build his kingdom through the power of his spirit inside of his people as they witness about his son to the glory of God. Stand with me, church. This is God's kingdom building plan until the day that we see right at the end of this passage when Jesus is going to return the same way that they saw him go. He's going to come back one day. And this kingdom building he's been doing in hearts through this message of the gospel, he will bring in in complete totality. And we have to get the the early followers lived with the reality of that day on the forefront of their mind every day they woke up. Jesus could come back today. And it's the reality of the day he will return that will drive us to the most bold, unashamed, and unafraid witness for that Jesus today out of love as we look people in the eyes and we say, I want you ready for the day that Jesus will come back. So let's just let our hearts worship to that reality as we close.